Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Discuss Foundation. This week we are covering episode one. I'm sorry, episode eight of season one, titled "Is It the Missing Piece?" Yes, it's the missing piece, the directed missing by piece. Uh, Roxanne Dawson and written by Sarah Nolan. Fantastic, as always. I am Nick, and this is my co-host Brian. What's um, up? For the podcast here, we're going to go through a uh, a general overview of our thoughts on the episode and how we liked it, if it hit us uh, a certain way. And then we're going to go into a scene-by-scene recap, a little more in-depth breakdown of our thoughts on the episode. And then lastly, we should be able to hit some predictions as to where we think the show is going to go moving forward. Before I kick it over to Brian here, we're going to give a quick disclaimer, which is we, me and Brian have not read the book, so we're not coming versed on Isaac Asimov's uh, Foundation series, the book series, and we don't really know how anything in the show relates to the books and vice versa. If you guys are looking for a little something a little more that speed, there are a couple other podcasts that kind of tackle that kind of subject matter, but it's not going to be here. We're just kind of fans of the show. If you are listening on our podcast platforms, we are available on all the major podcasting platforms. Make sure to do anything you can to support the show, whether it be liking it, sharing it, uh, giving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you guys happen to be watching the video on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on the video as well. And with that all of the way, uh, Brian, what do you think of Season 1, Episode 8, The Missing Piece? Um... I thought this was the missing piece for a lot of stuff that we've been talking about. Um, this is by far one of my favorite episodes. Uh, it hit everything I wanted it to hit. It did everything I wanted it to do. It it was a really good episode. It jam-packed a lot of information, a lot of visuals, a lot of really cool stuff. And it did it perfectly. Like I thought it was very well done. So yeah, best uh, my favorite episode so far. Awesome. It's weird because this is like a this is like a flip from last week because last week I was like, this is for sure my favorite episode and you were a little more lukewarm on it. Um, This one was I was like I said, I was a little lukewarm on this one. I wasn't I didn't hate it, but there was nothing that that really grabbed me in the episode, per se. Um, I had some I had a lot of issues with maybe some character motivation stuff as well. Um, Yeah, this one. I don't know that it didn't feel as um, consequential and and big as the last one uh, did for me. But I didn't necessarily dislike this one. I just thought it, uh, I thought it was, I thought after the last one, uh, I was kind of on a high and it kind of just mellowed me down yeah. a little bit again. We're going to go ahead and kick into a recap of the episode here. So initially, it looks like we start on Anacreon, I want to say. Yeah. yeah, we start on Anacreon and we see mm-hmm. two young children frolicking in the woods. And... Frolicking is a good word, yeah. Yeah. Then uh, we assume they're brother and sister mm-hmm. and. They're just running, playing, frolicking, and the sister turns around as she sees the sky starts lighting up with the ships from the jump ships or, or warships from Trantor, and she sees her village, family, everyone get annihilated. Yeah, and she's she's like really close to it, and she seems uh, I she she gets away pretty decently from that from that blast yeah. that comes through, but. Um, this was a, I mean, this was a cool scene to start with, I guess, to kind of see that perspective and see that point of view from Farah. Um, I get kind of why they did it. There's one thing that kind of was a like an annoying thing for me, which is they state in the in the um, in the scene they put Anacreon in big letters. And yeah. I remember thinking like, did they need to do that? Like, I remember thinking like they could they could have well, showed the scene as is with the kids playing and stuff, and you would have been like, wait, where are we? And it would have like raised questions like, what are we seeing? What are we then seeing here? Cut to just and then cut to Farah, Farah talking, yeah. and you're like, oh, it was her on Anacreon. You know what I mean? I feel like. Uh, I feel this, like it's like little stuff like that that kind of gets me where I'm just like, did you really need to write that there? Because we, we would have figured it out and it probably would have made it a little more suspenseful, yeah. you know. This this scene should have this scene should have been included earlier when Salvor started doing the 
reading into her like her mind and like premonitions and the thought this would have been perfect for her to do that and just kind of like interrogation and see the pain and suffering i thought that's it would have hit harder when if it was back then here we just get kind of like sets of like okay she has motivation to be doing this type of stuff yeah and um yeah, no, I agree. I think I think if we would have seen like little pieces of it, like little flashes of it when she was interrogating her, and then we got this scene to kind of flesh it out, that would have yeah. kind of been a little more impactful too. Oh yeah. And but I don't want to. I don't want to like um, backseat quarter. What is it? Yeah. Like Monday Monday morning quarterback the show of like, oh, this is how I would have done it. But I just no, thought, no, I, I yeah. saw that and I was like, ah, uh, that seems like it seems like extra information that probably could have made the scene better if they took it out. Farah uh, is kind of telling Salvor her uh, her plan and kind of why she's doing what she's doing, which is a little is a little vague for me as far as like it seems like Salvor's making good points like i mean i get that there's characters that are kind of driven by vengeance but transor blew up your entire people based on the mistakes of a few people and you're planning on doing the exact same thing to to uh i'm sorry yeah to transor um back where there's kids and all that kind of stuff on there and she's just like and i felt like her justification for it was just like yeah but revenge you know and i i I, I didn't like i don't know it didn't feel like emotionally rooted for me really that much so it goes to Galen Harry on the Raven ship. Um, he she starts telling him. I guess she's trying to come to grips with what she just figured out, which that she can see the future. Which I guess it was yeah. just a realization that she had or something. She says that a dream of water, like a, a huge wave crashing on her and and swallowing her whole city, yeah. is what kind of drove her to learn teach herself math. And Harry says something I had been harking on for the past couple weeks too, which was. It seems that maybe she has a subconscious. This is what Harry thinks too. It seems like she has a subconscious ability to keep her ahead of the math. I think he says you yeah. have an intuitive processing ability that puts you ahead of the math, which is kind of what I said before is that maybe she's so smart and such a genius mathematician that like she's able to intuit the psycho history yeah, she, before, you know, it's more specifically. More, yeah, it's more intuition than anything else. She's not, she had her mind naturally developed into being able to analyze psychohistory at a rate that almost becomes fortune telling. Like she can almost predict the future. Right. Right. And um, it seems like that's what Harry thinks it is. And that's what I would technically kind of think it is, but it seems like um, Gail maybe thinks it's something more religious or mystical, or she's got some kind of power. Um, I I use power in like air quotes is like, she's got, which I mean it is, but I think she thinks it's like some kind of like some kind of genetic trait or something. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I kind of got that gist there. Uh, what did you think about the scene with her and her and, and Harry in the Raven ship? The stakes were high, like kind of like really high stakes, but at the same time they weren't. They had to set up a conflict, and I just didn't like how. I don't know. It just it could have been done quicker. Like I think this is the scene where Harry reveals his true intention, or not yet. Harry reveals what? The plan of uh, why Harry needed Raish and why they were going back to Halcyon. I don't think he ever reveals that unless I'm mistaken, right? He 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 makes her like leave the ship because he doesn't reveal it, right? No, he's he says it. It's uh, he's starting a second oh, the, the second foundation. Yeah, yeah, he does say he's he's starting a second foundation because uh, and that the first one would be targeted, so they needed like a secret one that none even people on the first foundation knew about that yeah. they were going to set up on on Helicon um star's end i think which uh is on helicon which is i guess where the second foundation is going to take is going to be or take place but yeah we found out that there is a second foundation yeah um i agree with you too i felt like the i felt like the conflict felt forced or it felt like 
kind of out of nowhere. I, I remember yeah. thinking, uh, kind of Gail's been Gail's been kind of an annoying character for me to, or at least a harder character for me to like latch onto because she her motivation seems so weird to me. Like yeah. she just found out, you know, through Harry with Harry talking her through it, that she's able to like see the future. And she immediately goes from that to like, I want to get away from Harry as fast as possible and go. I don't know where, like, I guess, I guess uh, she just wants to leave the ship and, no, and she get wants off to go the back home. Yeah. She wants to go back home. The Synax. Right. Um, I, I don't understand the motivation for that at all. And yeah. I don't understand like her, um, her all of a sudden kind of turning, not turning on Harry. I understand that she doesn't trust him because he faked his death and all that kind of stuff. But their conflict germinates here, and I feel like it didn't make much sense to me. I remember thinking, yeah. like, why is she so upset? Why is she so frustrated right now? Like, I don't yeah. understand uh, where and, she's coming from. And for someone so logical that she is, because she always uses logic. She's like, oh, logic, logic, logic. All of a sudden, she takes this huge emotional thing where, like, why are you out of nowhere becoming emotional? She's always used logic all up until this point, and all of a sudden she just throws it out the window and it makes no sense. Yeah. And it's something that we've touched on in previous episodes too. I remember when the Raven ship happened, remember when she yeah. immediately finds out Raish is dead or Raish dies. And then she went in the bathroom to like kill herself. And I was just like, yeah. Whoa, like what, what is going on? I almost wish the writers would address it and say like, maybe she's got some kind of like mental thing or like some kind of manic yeah. personality thing because her actions seem to signal that, you know, they seem to signal somebody that's like, that goes on these really wild emotional tangents. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe if they wrote that into the script, I could buy it a little more. But as it stands right now, it just feels like the writing is just kind of taking her in places that seem unnatural, you know? Yeah. And you really touched upon it for something that happens later on in the episode. It really hammers home that point. So it cuts from there to uh, go figure. Uh, what we, we called. called. It, yeah, we called it last week. Uh, Hugo is still kicking. They uh, to to the show's credit, they didn't make it like some big reveal. Like I think everyone kind of knew he wasn't dead. They just kind of show him, you know. And I kind of like that they did that. They didn't make it like they didn't like make you suspenseful. Like oh, is Hugo still alive? It's like he's obviously still alive. Yeah. Um, so they just kind of show it. He goes. Uh, apparently, he floated to one of those mining. Um, yeah, the mining, communication. Yeah, to try yeah. to find a communications relay to get in touch with some more thespians. Thespians, yep. I think, uh, is how you pronounce it. Um, and Best he things. kind he kind of sends out a message, but there's nothing. We get nothing back in that scene, so we don't really know if any of it worked or any of it yeah. came through to anybody. Um, it's a real quick scene there, yep. and then um, after that, it's back to the maiden. Is this the brother day storyline after this one? Uh... Um. I believe, yes, it is. It starts yeah. the uh, journey. So on the Maiden, we are right in. We're thrown right into uh, Brother Day, and he is attempting the spiral, which uh, for those of you that aren't aware, the spiral is that big kind of religious pilgrimage that Luminists take. Um, I think once in their life, they do it like once some point yeah, throughout they, their they, life. Yeah, they save up all their money to do this trip, and it's either die or you, you live. Um, did anything jump out to you about this scene with him, him walking like Lee Pace, aside from the fact that his shirt was off for a lot of it? What I liked about it was like, you, you saw how much tech he had inside of him, like how much he had protecting him. Mm -hmm. He had the nat, the nanobots, the shields, like so many different unique things and seeing him lose it all and become mortal was really I water him and outside of him like walking around without a shirt that was like whoo boy <laughs> but yeah you the rules the 
the things and like how everyone set it up and you see him kind of come to terms like I will be touched there's nothing I could do about it Mm -hmm. and it 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 was good I I really liked how they made him mortal they they turned to god mortal yeah, I, I think that's a really good characterization for it, too, because it's like it, it it does remind me. It reminds me of like someone coming down from Olympus and making themselves mortal and taking away kind of their divine powers uh, to kind of uh, kick it with the humans for a while or whatever. Yeah. But that's that's kind of what it felt like. He very much is kind of the closest thing you get to a god in that universe. And he's he's going to do this very humbling um, trek across the Maiden uh you touched on the the nanobots too. I yeah. I thought it was weird because when Brother Dawn in the previous episode was talking about, oh no, they're gonna track me down with my nanobots, and she said, oh, you can filter them out. He made it sound like it was this really hard thing, but like in this episode, he's just kind of yes. like, yeah, your nanobots are gone. You're cool. And I remember thinking like, oh, that was really fast and easy. Like I guess you could just kind of take nanobots out pretty quickly. At, maybe if you have the resources that they yeah. have possibly, but he uh, removes his um his bracelet so he doesn't have a shield or anything he's really stripped down to uh nothing yeah. but uh like uh like some shorts and and like a shawl pretty much yeah and, and uh, makes the track and the assault crystal and the salt crystal correct yeah so he he does take a salt crystal from demerzel it seems to be a very personal item for them i can't remember if in past episodes did they talk about her salt crystal at all is this something that's come back and i just missed it i i don't know this is the first time i've i've been I've known about the salt crystal. Yeah, I feel like they've shown her like fiddling with it or something. Like she has some kind of maybe emotional attachment to it. It was on her bracelet. And I don't know what it's from necessarily. I think if I had to guess, and like I said, we may have missed it. They may have elaborated on this in previous episodes and we might have missed it. So let us know in the comments if that's the case. But my guess is that she may have gotten that salt crystal when she did the spiral. Um, uh, And we'll get into when that was later in the episode as well. But we... uh, she may have gotten that when she did the the um the spiral initially and kept that as like a, a token and he took it as like a good luck charm. Um yeah. the other thing I noticed in the scene is that Demerzel does feel very she looks like she's extremely um scared for him. Like she's very, very worried about him in the scene. Yeah. Like she's telling him like this isn't a joke, like, you know. Um she seems very worried, which is which makes sense because she's kind of a maternal character in their lives. Um, very very complicated relationship, which we'll get into later in the well, in the episode I, as well. I think I think she's worried not because of of his health, because the doctor kind of says, yeah, he's in perfect health to do this. He could he'll he could do this with no problems. I think she's afraid of what happens because when he interrogates her, like, what did you what do you expect? And he starts telling her about the vision. I think she's afraid that something's going to happen. That he, he's not he he's not going to see something he's not going to experience it mm-hmm. and the ramifications of it so i think she's just worried about what what will happen when he completes the journey yeah um so the, he goes on this check he, he goes on this trek or he starts the trek at least they, they they talk about pretty much how daunting this is and that only or say i think they say less less than half of people make it um, which is pretty crazy. Like of all the luminous that attempt it, like f- over fifty percent of them die on the way there and stuff. So that seems really intense. They apparently say that you have to walk. I I, I don't know if you got the numbers. I think they said one hundred and seventy-five kilometers without water or food. Yeah, I didn't something write it like down. That. Yeah, yeah, it was a you long can time. correct us in the comments, but it's something like that. Something crazy like that. Like one hundred and seventy-five kilometers, no food or water. And apparently, at the end of the trek, there's a sacred pool called the i think the mother's womb or something yeah and it's the it, it is uh it's where you can 
Duncan, and there's apparently some ionized salts or ionization in the water that can trigger visions. So that's kind of yeah. what they're what they're working towards there. Um, it goes to him walking, and there's a wanderer there. One little note that I wanted to, that I wrote down oh, to was, th yeah, this uh, is where I started writing a lot of notes. Okay, cool. Uh, one little note that I got, and then I'll kick it over to you too, was that Cleon seemed weirdly like amicable to the wanderer, and it was it was kind of a weird juxtaposition because in the last uh, episode where yeah Pro Proxima Halima is like tending to some people that had just done the trek, um, it looks like they or they were they, yeah they had just like uh, done the trek. Yeah, they he they like up on it. touched his hand and like threw it away. Like he was like, ew, peasant, get off of me. Like he had this very kind of uh, air of superiority to him. And in this one, he seemed like weirdly like amicable to the wanderer and stuff around him. And I, it may have been like a self-preservation tactic where he's just thinking I'm going to be nice to this guy because he's going to save me. But I don't know. It just seemed, it seemed a little odd to me. My note on it. Hmm. They, him, they bonded over one thing because the wanderer said something. That was the first time I was on a ship. A jump ship and brother day goes same here that was the first time the brother day was ever was on a jump ship yeah. and i think it's because they had the connect the the kinship bond of like i am the same as this guy i've lived on this planet my entire life i've worked and me and him share the same experience we've never been on a ship and left the world and the first time we do it is we come to this planet yeah so yeah, I no, it was... makes sense. It is a very, very bonding. It's like a, a bonding experience. And uh, yeah, what you say, what you say makes kind of sense, too, because if they're it, it might have been like the first time he ever felt like he had something in common with a regular person. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe this maybe this uh, kind of humbles him and makes him a better leader um, or something along those lines. Maybe he kind of kind of gains some humanity from going through this and and stuff. But we'll see. What other notes did you have on the scene? One of the things that was very interesting, because they go over the explanation of like, the knees like um you could you could bend on one knee someone could help you mm -hmm. up but if you're on both knees you could only crawl out but they could help you crawl out or you die there in the path and i thought that was very interesting i just felt like with royalty and stuff like that like you bending the knee and like respect and when you're bending both knees or sometimes it's more like you're giving your neck to be executed yeah, yeah. so i sure. thought that was like that was pretty unique perspective like you're you're bending one knee, you're paying respect. You're bending both knees, you're pretty much dead. You're submitting. You're submitting yeah. to like, uh, yeah, yeah. You show it's a sign of weakness. Where I think one knee is usually a sign of fealty, like you say, like when you when you bend the knee for somebody. Yeah, no, I, I didn't put that together, but that makes a lot of sense too. That they would, that there's a lot of parallels between those. Yeah, so it goes from that scene. We go back to Gale and Harry. Um, again, I was just kind of questioning, like, like why Gale is so upset and it's kind of so freaky. It, it just seemed like it went from zero to a hundred really fast. And, yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, I, I just don't understand her perspective uh, per se. So um, that's kind of what I got out of here. What did you think of the, of that scene that I know you had said the conflict felt a little, a little forced, but what did you think of that scene overall? I, I agree with you. It's just, it's, it's the same fight that we saw the first time they're mm -hmm. on screen it's Harry's telling Gail, I'm right, you're wrong. Gail's using some weird logic that we don't know what it is. We don't know why she's going off of yeah. what she's going off of. So we're just kind of like, okay, well, I guess we'll figure it out down the road. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, to the point where, like, it, it wasn't even just that. But then she starts to go to, like, pry the door open, a door that she's smart enough to know that she can't pry open. 
And I just yeah. remember thinking like, like it, again, it seemed like an overly, like, like overly emotional response where I'm just kind of wondering, like, um, like I almost wish that even if they didn't intend it, the writers in future episodes would just be like, yeah, she has some kind of manic like personality. Yeah, because just... That would kind of click for me if that was the case, if she was struggling with some kind of mental disability while having this, um, this, this kind of otherworldly uh, mathematical prowess or whatever that would make, that would make kind of sense to me. But it, without that there, it, this, I don't know. It just seems like we're supposed to, we're supposed to buy why she's this upset uh, over, over something and, and, and kind of where her thought process is. And I just couldn't kind of parse it. So it goes, I think we kick back to the maiden after that. Is that right? Yep. We're back to the maiden. And so this is where brother day has a pretty close encounter with, uh, with seeing the other brother day come out of the little, little, the little box, yep. you know, <laughs> or what is it? The little, the room, I guess. Yeah. The test, the, the, the tank, the tank, the little test tank. Um, so brother day almost dies. He kind of like stumbles. His, his vision's kind of blurry and he drops to one knee. Um, but as yeah. Brian said earlier, one knee is okay. It's if, if a two hit that it becomes an issue. Yeah. Um, as he goes to one knee, the man he was talking to earlier that bonded with him comes and helps him up. Um, this was a this was a fine scene i think like i think like you said um it's it was interesting seeing such a kind of royal divine being struggle so much and then be helped up by a common man and you know you you just want nothing but to hope that this maybe um changes his perception on things or his perspective on things a little bit or maybe gives him some um some life experience that he can hopefully govern better in the future about about the people that he's governing but yeah. uh yeah the guy the guy helps him up and and he keeps walking um and that was pretty much the scene did yes, you get anything get anything else from that or, or that was pretty much it that was it you nailed it okay cool he, uh <laughs> yeah he took help from the from the wanderer and he's becoming more of a humble man so yeah. moving on so uh we go over to what is it invictus invictus yes. we are on invictus here um salvor keeps she keeps like trying to talk sense to rowan a kind of conversation that we've seen we've seen numerous times since they've been taken hostage she's kind of working on rowan like he's gonna he's gonna all of a sudden change his mind um in the in the ninth inning here yeah uh so i I kind of might give up the save (laughs) yeah i kind of uh i don't know i i I grew i grow kind of tired of that aspect just because it feels like this isn't going to go, this isn't really going anywhere. I don't know if they're, they're planning on paying that off like later in the season where he makes some kind of um, big change, but I don't see where the logic would come from. I, she's not saying anything. He hasn't already taken into consideration doing this in the first place, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So it comes off a little melodramatic to me. So it does. he comes uh, So she's talking to, to him. Uh, she's disabling the shields, I think. And then is this the scene where they come across the turret? yeah uh to get to the bridge so uh i i I forget that they they literally didn't show the character that died but i guarantee she was somebody it's the uh it was yeah it was the asian it was the asian girl okay so yeah she gets shot pretty unceremoniously she doesn't really have a scene or anything she just kind of gets shot um and then the other ones hunker down they find that there's a turret at the end of the like a self-defense turret that's shooting anything that moves pretty much um salvor has to kind of skip through the hallway to kind of draw its fire while far yeah. hits it with a bow an explosive yeah, and, bow and arrow i guess yeah and what was unique about this like this was i, I thought it was really cool foreshadowing about mm-hmm. uh some future events but they the first thing they say and they look at it like oh it's a mutiny i'm like how do you guys know it was a mutiny and i'm like oh foreshadowing 
awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, she opens the thing with Lewis, but then she finds a gun through the door. She grabs the gun. She starts shooting at them. Um, she shoots a hole in the side of the ship, which, uh, creates a vacuum, which sucks one of the henchmen, nameless, faceless henchmen or whatever to the, to the (laughs) hole and kills him. Her and Lewis jump through the door, uh, separating them from Farah and, uh, Rowan. And, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, as far as like the the turret scene, it again, it felt it's it, it felt felt a little dark. Uh, it didn't feel like yeah. that visually engaging. Um, I wasn't really concerned for any of the characters in the scene, um, but I guess it was cool just kind of drawing the turret and her blowing it up with the bow and arrow. It was a decent action scene. Then they show um, Salvor and Lewis get away, and I think I think does it stay here for the where they find the inside of the ship? Yes. Um, so. I- a couple of things. Yeah. I was kind of hoping Fair got killed by the turret. Because uh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. I just I just don't like Farah. The airlock move was smart as all hell. Uh-huh. And when all this was going on, I was like, why the hell is Lewis still alive? Like, I can't stand this guy. I know. He's a weaselly, weaselly little prick. And then I'm like, nope, never mind. He explains what the ship is, how it works. Right, right. And, and uh, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. Uh, right. I was going to say, I agree with you. And, and like, I'm going to have some criticisms about that later in the show. Cause I agree with you about the Lewis thing. I was just kind of like, like, why isn't he, why isn't he going? Like, I don't know. I don't like this yeah. character at all. And I, I don't think anybody, there's, I don't think there's a universe where anybody watching this show likes Lewis. Like, I don't think that that, I don't think that anyone, he's, he's been, all he's been shown to be is contrarian and inept. And he doesn't know anything that's going on. And he's he's constantly standing in the way of, like, yeah. the actual smart move to do. He's just been that the whole show. So, um, it's, yeah, it, it's like, why is he still why is he still around? Um, did you have any more uh, stuff on this scene? I, I think they, so they go in and they see, one of my notes was that they see in the middle of, like, the, uh, I guess this is, like, the central console of the of the, the main room in yeah. the Invictus. It says EXO written in blood. Yep. And that's a... Uh, that's kind of an Easter egg, right? Because it could mean, like he said, it could mean executive officer, like a number two in command, or she said yeah. it could mean extraterrestrial, like something out from from uh, f- from another place. I guess is yeah. what EXO would mean. What do you have? I guess maybe you want to save this for predictions, as far as what we think the EXO means. Uh yeah, we can save it for predictions. Okay, so we stay. This was, I think, this was a pretty long segment, right? So there's Very these, long. there's these little like. Um, these little like Tron cycle looking yeah. things. <laughs> I was like Tron pods. <laughs> yeah. These little Tron pods around the room that apparently are used to kind of control the different uh driving of the Invictus. Yeah. I did like I did like the little production design element where there's three of them because the Invictus is such a giant ship that you feel like one pilot would be weird if it was just one pilot. It feels like yeah, it would need you... to be like a concert or a symphony of people driving this thing. You know, so I did like that they had multiple ones of that. What was really unique was they explained like tech from 700 years ago like how it worked how it functions how it moved on with the navigation and i thought that was mm-hmm. really unique that like yeah we used to turn human humans into computers to run the navigation system true yeah no that was really cool and also it brought up something too which i found really interesting which is the fact that that exists means that the whole spacers thing we've seen spacers a couple times in the show and they kind of seem like, you know, uh, kind of background characters for the most part. But apparently yeah. spacers are relatively new because they said, like, this is before spacers that they had to have humans kind of like 
operate these ships, you know? Yeah. So I guess the concept of spacers and stuff is a, a, a relatively new, like on the on the scale of on kind of the scale of the civilization there. Um, it's a relatively new concept, which I thought was interesting, too, because they seem like they would have been around for for ages. You know, he says something that I found kind of weird. So so she says um, she's he's talking to her about how the person uh, can fold space, I guess. Yeah. And he says, folding space is as much intuition as science. I don't, maybe you can parse this out for me. I didn't really understand it at all. He says, folding space is as much intuition as science. It's like making a wish, a cognitive leap on a human brain, a, hog- a cognitive leap that only a human brain can perform. Um, did you, did you, par- like, I don't, I don't know if I uh, understood that. I understand the concept of folding space. It's just that I don't understand how it's like, I don't understand how it's as much intuition as science and it's like making a wish. You have to know exactly where you're going and you have to take a guess to not jump somewhere where you're not supposed to go. So where, what it is, it's if think about the earth, if you go straight through the earth, you're more than likely going to hit water on the opposite side. It's knowing that you have to take alternate routes through that fold to get where you need to go. Like it's not, a straight fold is this you have to still curve around so, and go around it so he's saying like it's not something that you can put in direct kind of computer coordinates for you yeah. have to like you have to navigate it very like fluidly i guess is yeah. what he's trying to say yeah okay that's right okay yeah okay and then um i thought it was funny that she referred it to it as jacking in yeah i know I'm like, <laughs> i kind of laughed because i was just like I, I guess i guess that's what they call it in everything like when you have it when you have a uh when you have cybernetics coming out of the back of your head, it's called you're being jacked in or, or jacking Man, in or I, something. I got to jack in. <laughs> yeah. But I laughed because I think before I she even said that, I wrote like the jacking into the matrix. And then she says, can you jack in from whatever? And I just remember being like, well, she calls it that. That's crazy. Um, that might have been a uh, that might have been a writer's nod going like, yeah, we yeah. know what this looks like. Let's add this in and as like an Easter, not, not an Easter egg, but kind of like a little wink, you know. So, <laughs> again, we kind of go back to what you were talking about earlier was kind of my frustration with this scene was when did we start giving a shit about Lewis? Like when did we we start caring about Lewis? It seemed like the show was all of a sudden like, Oh no, let's like, like let's make him a likable character that like Salvor respects or something. And I remember thinking like, what has he done to earn any respect at all? Like he didn't volunteer to go on this mission. He was like dragged in because he happened to have some kind of credential. He's um, he's done nothing but like undercut any like yeah. decent or smart move from the beginning of the show you would think that salvor would just absolutely hate him like the audience does at this point yeah. and yet they yet they're playing him off like he's this uh he's this like respectable character that's um i and i don't yeah I, he's not such a he's not such a douchebag like we all think he is right my, my notes literally say why is lewis still alive never mind he explains <laughs> how the ship works hate him again and we we before we go further this is the reason yeah, yeah. why i hate him more we go back to trantor or is it trantor terminus. terminus terminus we go back to terminus and there's a statue of him so like nope i hate him again because oh, of that damn statue was that was that i was sitting there going <laughs> i actually wrote this as a note that's really funny i wrote that's a really bad statue of harry <laughs> but apparently maybe it's of lewis i guess i, I guess I guess yeah, it is. Yeah, it would make sense because Harry died on the way there. So Lewis was like the founding person of the, you know, the yeah. foundation. So, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I remember thinking like I was looking at the statue going, oh, dude, that looks terrible. It doesn't look like Harry at all. <laughs> I guess it wasn't Harry, but yeah, 
No, I, I just can't stand Lewis. I think Lewis is one of those characters that like he has no redeeming qualities, even right. even even when he knows all about the ship, it's like, okay, cool, you know all about the ship, but you still have zero redeeming qualities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could have like intuitively she could have like intuitively figured that out or something along those lines. But yeah, uh I I, I just didn't like how the show was passing him off like we're supposed to be concerned about what happens to Lewis here. Yeah, I, I remember put wait, why do we care about Lewis? He sucks. That's what I wrote yeah. down. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, we go back on Terminus. Um, there's the person that was responsible for shooting down the um, the Imperial warship, that guy with the ground cannon. That guy, he's yeah. apparently leading, he's a leading the Anacreon troops at this point. Um, one of the Foundation members comes up to warn him about something, and she's saying, hey, that's uh, the Salvador, vault. Uh, Salvor's mom. Salvor's mom, okay. Yeah. I, I was wondering where I knew it from. So she goes to him to warn him that the vault is in fact expanding and it causes people to black out and they don't know anything about it. And I get the feeling he didn't really heed that warning too well, but it cuts away from that scene, a very quick scene where she's kind of warning them about that. We get the information that the vault is in fact still expanding. So yeah, that's, a, that's another wrinkle um, as well. Um, we go back to the maiden kind of rocketing through here i don't think there's a lot of subtext to unpack in this episode really uh a, a lot of stuff but we go back to the maiden and there is the old guy is struggling and he's decided to call it quits yeah <laughs> he's, he's throwing in the towel um he says the mother calls to him he goes down on one knee um brother day goes back to offer a helping hand much like the person did to him earlier in the episode and he declines and puts the other knee down, which, as Brian said earlier in the episode, is a sign of submission. Um, and he can't really be helped unless he drags himself off of the path. Although it seemed like um, even, you know, after after he went down, it seemed like they showed um, Cleon moving him off the path. So, yeah, he, uh, Cleon moves him off the path. I, my understanding was that they weren't allowed to do that. Right. They had to crawl themselves off the path if something like that happened. But no, they could, Cleon they maybe doesn't care. They could help him. They could help him crawl. Okay. So it could have been that he helped him crawl to get over there. Maybe. The, yeah. The one thing about the scene that was kind of weird was his stance. Like when he was walking on the, on the um the dirt, he was just kind of like had like almost like a Jesus on the cross type stance, where his like arms out and his legs were almost mm -hmm. trying to hold on. So it was just a weird walk that he had. Yeah, I can totally see the Jesus imagery stuff that you were talking about, too, where he's kind of got his hands extended and um, and it's kind of silhouetted against the sky that way and stuff. I don't know if they were going for that in the shot, but I definitely I got that vibe, too, now that you bring it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he says the mother calls to me. He's going to die. I, I also put again, I felt Brother Day seemed seemed oddly empathetic. He seemed very kind of choked up at this. And yeah. Kind of fascinated. I don't know if it was fascinated or if it was like he felt pity or sorrow for the for the guy um and he pretty much says like what if he's what if there's no other life to the guy and he says uh i hope i'll see you again which is a pretty cruel thing to say to a dying luminist is <laughs> i remember yeah. thinking that i remember thinking like you really want the last thing this guy hears from you to be what if there is no other life like as he's dying i was like wow that's pretty harsh like just all of a sudden making question his faith at the last minute but yeah um, the guy, yeah, says, I hope I'll see you and you can tell me what you saw in the in the in the sacred pool. And then he dies, essentially. Um, I will say what I liked about the scene was it it's setting up it's setting up a thematic thread between Gale and Cleon, where they're both kind of dealing with a crisis of faith, where yeah. um, Brother Day seems to be dealing with this feeling of like, do I have a soul? Um, 
you know, what what happens when I die? I'm a clone. It, do I like do I have a soul and stuff like that? Whereas Gail is having this crisis of faith as to between the sleeper and her science and stuff as well. But yeah. he's he's a product of science and he's having this crisis of faith as to whether or not this luminism stuff is real. And it kind of elaborates on that later in the episode. But I do like that it kind of sets up a parallel between Gail and Cleon as our yes. two, two main protagonists. I like that. I thought that was a really cool perspective. There's a couple of things I liked about, like I made a lot of notes. One of the notes I had was Brother Day's first emotional connection, who isn't forced to play nice. Because since the Wonder had no idea who he was, he wasn't respecting him or being nice to him because he's the emperor. He was being nice to him because he's a generally nice person. So I think that's another thing that he probably never experienced with somebody just not recognizing who he is mm-hmm. and just treating him like a regular person, like how you treat anybody else. Yeah. So I thought that was a really unique way to show that he's never experienced these type of things before. Yeah, I find it a little I find it a little much I, I kind of a stretch for, for me to believe that that guy didn't know who he was. I feel like he would have the most recognizable face in the galaxy, like as far as like, um, I don't know, I I. I, I wonder because I don't know if they explicitly say it or not, but I wonder if he if he knew or if he didn't, or if they're leaving that kind of ambiguous. Because it it, uh, it seems like it seems like he would be the most recognizable person in the in the whole galaxy, you know. Yeah, I you would think so, but at the same time, let's be honest. If Obama was in front of me, I probably wouldn't even recognize him. Yeah, well, it it, uh, it also, uh, to your point, too, uh, the context of the situation plays into the fact, too, where yeah. the guy may think, like, oh, that guy looks like Cleon, but he'd be like, Cleon wouldn't be doing this spiral. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like why would he risk like, his life? Why would he risk his life to do this, like, spiral thing as, a, as, as the Empire? So, yeah, I can get that, too, where maybe he thought, oh, he looks familiar, but then he was like, there's no way the Emperor would be doing this, you know? So, uh, it goes to, uh, he's, he's, again, traveling through. He sees a bunch of skulls, right? Yeah. Um, and it looks like he looks down at the salt crystal and it gives him strength. And again, it sets up this kind of complex relationship between he and Demerzel. They both obviously have um, a lot of feelings for each other. Because like I said earlier in the episode, she seemed genuinely concerned for him um, yeah. going through the walk and about how difficult it was. And then if he, you know, if he doesn't make it, it's going to be cause a lot of... Uh, a lot of strife for the empire and stuff like that as well. And then in this one, in a really dark moment for him, after having just seen like somebody he bonded with die, he like looks down to the salt crystal and clutches it. And I remember thinking like, uh, he's like Demerzel's with him or something. So there's a very, uh, deep kind of emotional connection between the two, but as we'll find out later in the episode, there's also a very, like, uh, a, a very disturbing kind of detached relationship that they have going on too. It's kind of, it's very complex, uh, between the two of them. Um, so he goes, is, do we get into the sacred pool here? Or is that later in the episode? No, it's, it's, okay. he goes, um, he gets to the sacred pool and then it cuts to him having the council with the people. Right, right. I will say, I thought the way they shot the sacred pool was really cool. I thought it was yep. gorgeous. Um, I love that they kind of under, it was very underexposed. Oh, yeah. Um, and the water was so still that it was like a mirror image. And, uh, I like the framing of it. I just thought that whole, the photography of that whole sequence was really, really good. Uh, he stumbles into the water, um, and starts drinking feverishly from it, uh, after having, having trekked for 175 miles and he looks like absolute shit. Uh, <laughs> he looks, he looks, uh, he looks like he's been beaten and, and uh, and, yeah. and kind of bruised and burnt and all that kind of stuff. So. He drinks from it, and then we cut to for the Zephyrs. He's the luminous Zephyrs are in front of him. They're kind of religious leaders. Yeah. Um, and he recounts um, a vision that he had. Yep. 
of spinning and, salt. The salt in the water started spinning around him, and then it went above him, and it manifested in the form of this three-petaled flower. Yep. And then they kind of elaborate the fact that three-petaled flowers used to be – they have a lot of religious significance to the mother, and that they died out uh, some some thousands of years ago, I want to say, like thousands and yep. thousands of years ago. So yeah. they take it as like a good omen. And they say, specifically, I wrote down too, they say um, three elements created out of one. And he says, like my brothers and I. So he's kind of drawing parallels between their religion with the yeah. mother and his him and his brothers trying to create that link and bond between the two things. Yeah, like with that one, um, I had a lot of unique things. Like one of them is water is, is a, normally a sign of baptism. The very religious overturn overtures uh the holy trinity the father son the holy spirit mm -hmm. um and it was just really very a lot a lot of parallels to religion uh christianity um i know going back to this well especially me the roman em the roman empire where yeah. christianity kind of infiltrated and became part of the emperor's things mm -hmm. was so that led to the popes and he's kind of leading into the middle ages, which is what uh, is going to happen. So it's yeah. kind of a unique like way that they're forecasting the, the downfall of society and they're using religion as one of the tools to do it. And just a lot of religious symbolism. And when they explain like what the, was it, it's the, it's the birth root, right? Or is the bit birth uh, root bit, sounds right to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah, the birth root flower, the triple moon, the uh, the flower died off, and it's the triples, the triples, the mm -hmm. triples. So it's really unique idea of the Trinity, the holy. He recounts that that's what he yeah. saw. They say this was a holy event, and then they uh, they straight up give uh, Zephyr Halima because she doesn't become Proxima. The Zephyr Halima, they straight up give her some side eye and say like anybody who thinks that this person isn't. Uh, isn't, yeah, it doesn't have isn't a like soul. a holy person is actually sinning under the luminism and they're pretty much just like get off his back he made he made it here like you know you have to back off now and uh they say it's so on the nose that i kind of roll my eyes where they're like no other they say i think they say quote from this day forth no other zephyr will stand in your way and i remember thinking like it's so on the nose and, and i was like like zephyrs as a whole weren't standing in his way it was just halima that, that i thought that line was like okay like we get it you know <laughs> yeah for sure uh, uh we kick back did you have anything else for that scene or you want to kick back to gail here my gail notes are very simple very to the point gail is too inconsistent <laughs> yes yeah her as a character and it's not even uh you know i think lula bell does a really good job with her it just seems yeah. like her character is so is so strangely written um and like you said inconsistent and her motivations feel strange to me um she's been kind of my least favorite arc um, and it's weird because she was one of my favorites in the first yeah. couple episodes with the Synax and all that kind of stuff. I really wanted to know what was going on with her, but she's kind of, kind of soured on that storyline a lot. Um, right before we kick back, I do want to say the, the sequence where they show the flower and stuff was really cool. Like where the stuff's spinning around and it's floating in the air and it's creating oh, yeah. a flower above him. And it's, um, and I thought that that sequence was really cool. It's kind of like your shirt. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It does kind of look like, uh, this is the birth route guys. I wore the birth yep. route today for the, uh, for the pod um for you for those of you watching on video i think i wrote gail wtf are you doing she doesn't believe in the foundation anymore question mark like i didn't so uh kind of getting ahead of myself but she she kills i think she destroys the heating transfer system or something so that it ensures that 
the ship is going to overheat in this debris field and she's going to be burned alive. Is that right? Yeah, that she's going to die in the heat because they can't transfer it out anymore because all she did was just hit a control panel and all of a sudden that, that breaks everything. Mm-hmm. Right. On a, on a ship, that control panel just kills everything. There's no backup systems on that on the Raven or anything. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> it's only voice control by, by everything else. Only specific voices can control it, but you just take out one panel. <laughs> yeah, that one panel is very important. Don't mess with that panel, guys. Uh, it's a very important panel. So she tells Harry, tell me everything. I don't want any more secrets. Tell me all this stuff. And he says, I've crunched the numbers. If I tell you, it's going to destroy the second foundation. And she says, well, I don't care. Tell me everything or I'm going to kill myself. And he says, what? And then she breaks the control panel and realizes that she's going to boil alive. I'm, I'm being kind of facetious <laughs> now yeah. explaining this, but that's how I took it. I was sitting there going like, wait, what? Like, does she not believe that he's crunched the numbers and said like, hey, if you can't know this certain information, it's because it's going to destroy the last chance we have at something you feverishly believed in a couple episodes ago, like something you vehemently would have given your life for a couple episodes ago. And then yeah. she's like, I don't care. I want to go home and uh, and destroys the, the control panel. Um, did you yeah. read that another way? I don't know. I, I just remember kind of like going, what? Why is she? What is she doing? Like, I don't know. She's she I this was the scene that like made me go. She I wish they killed her off. Yeah, because she she's so. Inconsistent with her actions, with her reactions, mm-hmm. like you lost everything. There's nothing left. You've been asleep for 34 years. And, you know, she gets into the cryopod. She says, take me back to Synax. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, take 134 years or 194 years. So like some ridiculous amount of years. Like, okay, let's go. I'm like, by that time, everybody you knew is dead. You don't know anybody. Not only that, but more importantly, because she crunched the numbers on Synax. Synax yeah. is pretty much underwater at this point, right? Yeah. Between like, this will be like 200 years from since she left. And she said, oh, they were pretty much in the last throes of civilization to begin with. So... She, yeah, yeah. We'll t- we're going to talk about that when we get to that point where she says that. But yeah, that was another thing where I was just kind of like, wait, what is the logic here? Where she's like, again, like she's supposed to yeah. be this really smart character. And I remember thinking like, what is her rationale here? Maybe I'm too stupid and I don't see her 4D chess going on or something. But I was just sitting there going like, I don't understand what her rationale is here. Yeah. So she pretty much, uh, she pretty much makes Harry open the thing for her because if not, she's going to boil to death. Um, she gets in the cryopod. She, first of all, key thing is she pulls the knife out. So the knife's going to have some kind of purpose in yep. future future uh, episodes. I don't know if that's what his... My my thing was when she first put the knife in was that that's where his consciousness was coming from, was the knife. So that's the only thing that makes sense to me. So it seems like she may have taken Harry with her to Synax because I think the knife was what was allowing him to download into the raven maybe there's a copy of him still in the raven but i think that knife allows her to access him if she needs him in some capacity yeah um but yeah she says i'm gonna go to synax they say well synax is gonna take 138 years to get there in a cryopod and she goes confirm and then she pretty much uh gets enveloped in the gel reading her prime numbers and then she shoots off the synax uh that i'm assuming we're gonna see in another giant time jump we'll see gale um it comes back to one of the challenges of the show that they said was things. There's so many giant time jumps and you don't get to stay with certain characters through those time jumps. And this was, yeah. this seems like a way for them to shoehorn. Let's have one persistent character 
somehow available at all these different time frames. Yeah, exactly. Right? It seems like it seems like this is the writer's way of saying, well, we want to have a character that the audience recognizes there in 138 years because everyone else is going to be dead by natural causes. So let's have Gale kind of be trekking throughout the foundation and she's going to kind of be our POV character as we go through all this. It seems like that's what they're setting her up as to me. Yeah, because it kind of makes sense that after they left uh, whatever the ship was that took them to Terminus, that mm-hmm. they they established enough connections with some of like the characters because we saw Lewis on there. We saw enough characters to where they jumped forward the 34 years. They would go like, okay, they, I remember them. I remember them. Okay, they aged them pretty good. So they did give us like that. So yeah, I, I do mm-hmm. see some of the that with the time jumps, like using Gale as the central focal point. Yeah. Um, and then it goes to, we're back on the maiden, right? So we're, we're seeing everyone showering Cleon with praise, um, on the way back to his ship, he stops and has a kind of, kind of passive aggressive tense standoff. Yeah. He puts on a show essentially saying, thank you, Proxima Halima for, or Zephyr Halima. I wouldn't have done the, done this without you. And then she bows to him knowing that she's been defeated. She's, she's been beat. Um, I there there uh it's a kind of a shame too you know with that character because I thought their dynamic was really interesting it was one of my favorite parts of the season was her character specifically yeah. Zephyr Halima um I thought the actress did such a fantastic job with her she was so commanding um on the screen um and her kind of uh, dynamic with Cleon was really interesting as well yeah um, it goes from let's see there to uh. Demerzel. So there's uh, probably the strongest scene, in my opinion, of the episode. Right? Would would you say so as well? The the scene with Demerzel and Halima. That scene was really good. I, yeah. I really I really liked that. One of the things I liked about this was like everybody else was was bowing to Cleon ahead of time, and then when he gets to her, they talk. They they have their thing, and then she finally like realizes like, okay, we're done. I lost. Then she bows to him and says triple blessings. Yeah. And I thought that was really unique that it did it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh and and Demerzel goes in to speak yep. with with uh Halima. Yeah. And before there's... before oh, before go we go, what was your initial thoughts of like why were they meeting? What were like what went through your head? Okay, so it, I think we might have spoken this on a past episode. My initial hunch was um that Halima was working with Demerzel. So I thought Demerzel was kind of there to maybe give some information about something because we we always knew that there was kind of a shaky relationship between the Cleons and Demerzel and there's yeah. kind of there's something going on um underneath the surface as far as her allegiances and then we also had her bowing before Cleon in, the, in one of the past episodes which Yo. kind of threw, threw into question her allegiance as well. Demerzel used to be um, a Zephyr or a Zephyr for a, a Zephyr. Luminous? Yeah. What makes you say that? Because when she asked for the salt crystals, because remember they never, they show something. They always show something for a specific reason. So when she gives Cleon or brother day, the salt crystal, the specific bracelet that I was on is the same bracelet that Halima takes off. When she's talking to Demerzel. Oh, cool. So you think um, you think that that bracelet is uh, kind of a signifier of a Zephyr and that she's she was probably a Zephyr way, way long ago. Yeah. Dang, oh, that's crazy. Um, 
so they do they do drop the knowledge for you know if we're getting ahead there they do drop the knowledge that uh, Demerzel's eleven thousand years old. Well, no, she's not eleven thousand years old. It's eleven thousand years ago that she did the spiral. Yeah. She could have existed thousands of years before that. Who knows? Like, who knows how old she is, honestly? But she did the spiral eleven thousand years ago, um, which makes Halima perks her interest and says, "Oh, you must be an android. You're one of the last." There were rumors that you were one of the last intelligent robots. And then the realization comes: Why are you willfully giving me this information? At which point. I do like that they they let Halima put it together. She's a she's a good yeah. enough, smart enough character where it feels like she would be able to see the writing on the wall, and and not just be taken aback by it or taken surprised for it. So I feel like it was a pretty decent send off for her as a character. Um, but she realizes, oh, uh, Demerzel's here to kill me, um, and then they have a heart to heart uh, essentially about her status as an android and whether or not she has a soul. Um, what did you, did you find anything really interesting about that uh, that interaction? Yeah, what these are my notes on the scene, like from beginning to end. Like mm-hmm. I made notes. Uh, Demerzo wants out. What was the event that caused it? She revealed her true nature to, Hem, uh, Emila, Emila. Halima. Needs to Emila, Halima mm-hmm. needs to kill her because, in order to do so, changes stance on what makes a soul when her life was put on the line. So right. Halima, as soon as her life was put on the line, she quickly changes her stance of what is a soul. Because according to her, the androids never had souls. Yeah, I wrote that too. I thought that was interesting. We both kind of had that same thought, which is I, I, I asked the question, do you think she really believes that Demerzel has a soul after having that heart to heart with her and seeing like the compassion in her eyes or whatever she says? Or do yeah. you think that she was just making a plea to try to live? Uh, they they, they kind of leave it ambiguous as to what her true beliefs are. But yeah, it calls into question um, – she, she seems to change her stance on on the whole like you don't have a soul because you weren't reincarnated um thing and yeah. uh and yeah I, I wondered that I was like do you think she really believes uh Halima has a soul or do you think that um she was just kind of making a plea at a desperation because she knew her she her life was about to end I think she was making a plea out of desperation because she knew her life was gonna end because she knew that she was always protected that she could speak out against brother day because mm-hmm. she had the power of the people to protect her and guide her and all that stuff. And when she realized that she lost it, she, yeah. no one's going to care that she dies. Like she realizes that her life is over. Her protection is over. She went up against the empire and failed miserably. And she mm-hmm. realizes this is the consequences for doing that. Yeah. Uh, the only, and, and I, I, I probably lean that way too, that that's the case. The only thing I would push back on is if she was kind of pleading for her life afterwards, she seemed like she just accepted it. And she said, how is this going to happen? It wasn't like a kind of feverish play for like, let me try to run away or let me try to get away from this. Yeah. She seemed like she just kind of accepted that it was going to happen. Cause she said, how does this happen? And that's when Demerzel says it's already been done. You have secreted a poison out of my skin or something. And she just kind yeah. of like sat there. So it's weird because I want to say, I want to, I want to agree with you and say, yeah, it seems like she was making a kind of a desperate plea to change her mind at the end of her life. But at the same time, she seemed like she was aware of the writing on the wall and that there's no way she was leaving that room. And yeah. uh, and it seems like if that's the case, you, w- you would probably speak your truth in that moment, you know? So yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of kind of conflicted about it. Like I could see that it was her last ditch effort to try to like save herself. And then when she realized that there's no more. There, there's 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 nothing else that she could work. do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Halim is dead? I think so. I think so too, but I could totally see, we, you know, we did have, we did have some, um, 
some issues about Demerzel and her allegiance to the crown before. I can definitely see maybe that not being the case. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can I can see a world where, you know, I, I've, I've watched too many TV shows to know that if you don't see someone die, there's a, not, there's a chance that they're not dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, unless yeah. you see them actually die. So, but I do feel like there was a sense of finality to the scene and she probably is uh, gone. One of my major notes from there is uh, killing her seems like he is repeating Brother Dust's mistake by killing those who disagree with him. Like when uh, Thespin and Anakrin, uh, when he blew those plan- planets up as revenge, I think she saw that he's just going to always keep repeating himself no matter what. That whoever disagrees with him or whoever has like a differing opinion would always, he'll always choose violence over them. And we've seen it where there's a chance to give mercy when they've been defeated. He's always gone above and beyond to humiliate them. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's very telling that like this scene might foreshadow that this this is not the first time that she's done this that she's had to do this multiple times because anyone who disagrees with him, she's the one that has to kill him. Yeah, no, that's a really good point too because because I, I wanted to touch on that too earlier in the um in we were talking about how he was helping the wanderer and it seemed like yeah. maybe he's gaining some humility maybe he's gaining some um some reverence for the common man and, and common people or something like that. And uh, this action doesn't seem to, to validate that at all. He also, he almost seems kind of, and then in the, in the dinner scene later on that we'll get to, he seems kind of um, uh, indifferent about it. He seems kind yeah. of like, Oh, this is what's going to happen anyway. And, and kind of uh, like on a power trip. So it doesn't seem like that, that, uh, that kind of, uh, changed him at all for 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 the better. Uh, the other thing too is you you brought up a really good point about it seems like he's gonna he's repeating the same stuff from Dusk and and, and the earlier Cleons as well. Yeah. There was a scene early, I think it was in season episode one or episode two, right after the Anacreon and Thespis attack. I think it was episode two, where this brother Day was brother Dawn, and um, sh- um is holding his hand as he's looking at the hanged victims, and she says something along the lines of. He says, do we always do this? And she says, yeah, more often than not, like, this is how, this is what you do. And uh, oh. she says that essentially. So that does kind of ring back to what you were talking about, where it seems like Demerzel seeing him just kind of repeat the same things over and over again. And it seems like it's just in his nature that he's going to do this. And she's probably thinking after having gone through the spiral, one of the most like uh, intense, in- intense and insane um spiritual journeys that a person can go through in the galaxy um you still uh punch down and you still take out people weaker than you and you have no kind of uh reverence or um yeah you have no kind of reverence for the common man at all so that's a really good point because i think that that's probably what's going on in denver's house head is she's saying you're repeating the same stuff yeah um hugo did it the enact uh so we're back on invictus hugo got the beacon away Yep, and uh, the the Thespins are 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 shooting at the Invictus to try to stop it from jumping. I, I don't know what they're doing necessarily, but I, I don't really understand what the what the Thespins are like. How they're they're hampering anything? Um, Star Wars says that she wants to jack in essentially to yep. the to the Matrix. <laughs> she wants to have. She says, "Hey, uh, if you haven't had a surgical like hole put in your head to steer these ships, can you do it just as a normal person?" And he said, yeah, but like you'll die like pretty quickly. And she goes, well, will I will I live long enough to be able to, like Brian said earlier in the in the episode, like steer the ship with my intuition and my mind? And he says, you know, 
probably not, but you know, we'll see. Try it out here. And again, we get waterworks from Lewis, and it's this whole thing where I'm like, why am I caring about Lewis again? Yeah. Then, um, why do we why do we really give a shit yeah. about Lewis? Then uh Farah and Rowan burst through the door, they shoot Lewis. I'm assuming he's dead. Yep. Thank God. Let's I know get it a, took long enough. Let's take a moment of silence and clap. Uh Lewis Lewis's life life ended. Um so Lewis died and they're in a firefight and then the ship starts jumping the ship jumps right yep. that's where that's where we end with salvor is they're not in any kind of protective orb or bubble or anything and the ship is the ship has jumped so what leads me to believe um and maybe we'll get this to this in predictions but yeah the ship jumps and and, and i'll just leave it for predictions there yeah um then we get the scene that you're referring to. I think we go right back to the Maiden, and it's a dinner table scene between Demerzel yes. and Cleon. Um, a really, really solid scene. I really I, like this scene. What I like about it is is that it's something that we keep touching upon. It's the symbolism of the surroundings, the symbolism of the settings. And you just went from a barren planet to him by himself with a gigantic dinner table just full of food. Mm-hmm. All for one person. Yeah. Yeah, it's it highlights it highlights again. Um, it highlights again that like we we've been hammering this in, and I think that's what the show's going for, is they're visually showing that Cleon's not gonna change. Right? Because I think I think Demerzel and and the audience like us, we had the hope that having gone through this really traumatic uh, religious trek and this journey and and kind of being helped by the common man like like he was and he almost died if it wasn't for the help of that person that maybe he would have a perspective shift and he would think um you know wow like uh you have some more humility and what they show visually like you said with that long table and all the food on it that he, he's never he's not in, gonna eat at all you know what i mean um yeah. is is that nothing's changed he's back there and he's like i won i totally um i totally duped him and now we can go back to Trantor and you can almost see in, in uh, Demerzel's eyes the realization that just like there's nothing that's going to change this. Uh, there's nothing yeah. that's going to change these people. Um, so that'll probably go into predictions as well as far as that's concerned. But she says um, she raises suspicion very passive aggressively that she doesn't think he had a religious event. Yeah. Kind of, kind of uh, we're shown a flashback that confirms this as well. But um, it turns out that the swirling salt that we saw earlier in the vision was something that the guy on the path told him about. Yep. He said, oh, I saw a person that they said that the salt swirled around him. And he went, oh, mental note. And then uh, he he uh, apparently saw a flower on Demerzel's desk. That was the three um, yep. the three petaled flower um, that she was like a religious token for her. And that's what he described seeing in the salt. Um, and it turns out that she was the only one that could have had that flower because she was around at the time that the flower still existed because she's 11,000, at least 11,000 years old. Yep. So she says, uh, I don't, she pretty much says, I don't think you've had a vision. And he goes, well, I did. And then she says, I wouldn't, she said, I'm so glad you had that holy vision because I wouldn't wish that emptiness of not having a vision on anyone. Yeah. And that kind of, that, that kind of hits him, hits him in the, uh, in the heart there uh because he realizes that he's i think he's questioning wow i probably don't have a soul all these people that 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 do have a soul um have seen this vision and i haven't so maybe i maybe i'm a soulless creature i guess and he's starting to kind of question his identity there yeah 
And the scene where they do that, such a, it's so beautiful because like they distort the peaceful serenity of the womb and they, and with him in the water, like the, the waves, it very subtle. You can see that it, he's disturbing the essence. He's disturbing mm-hmm. the peace. And it was a really great way that they framed it. Like he never had the vision. Yeah. No score he, too. Yeah. It was just an empty, you just get the sound effects of the, of the like echoing cave. Yeah. And it's just like, there's nothing here. There's nothing. He's just looking around like, and we see something and there's just nothing there. So, um, yeah, I thought the, I thought the filmmaking there was, was really, was really on point. And I think that's where it, it ends, right? It ends with him in the, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It ends with him on a jump ship. So he's going on a jump ship and he's, uh, he's echoing back what Demerzel yeah. told him, which is, I wouldn't wish that emptiness upon anyone. And that's when we see the, uh, the vision of the cave and him not getting any kind of, any kind of, um, vision, I guess, yeah. and him questioning whether he has a soul or not. But again, I, you know, I think. Uh, the most powerful thing about the episode, in my opinion, was um, the parallels. So the things I got from this episode were the parallels between Gale and Cleon as far as the faith and science uh, juxtaposition about kind of questioning um, their existence um, yeah. around the, around those concepts. And the other thing, too, was the really complicated relationship between he and Demerzel, where it's like at one point you can feel the love they have for each other and they feel very like close. And yeah, in, in this moment of darkness, he's like looking to the Demerzel crystal and giving it, giving him strength. And she's very like concerned for his well being. And then at the same time, he just orders her to kill someone that he knows that she has like a religious reverence for yeah. as a show of fealty to him or something. And it's like, it's this really like bipolar relationship that they have. Um, that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, so uh, we'll go ahead and hit into our predictions here. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to talk about prediction-wise is I think I think EXO is is what Salvor said. I think it has something to do with aliens. I think that's the more interesting thing uh, for 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 going forward. I think they they were. So I think uh, the Invictus was bouncing around to random coordinates in the galaxy, and one of those coordinates they happened upon something that was uh, that either killed them or uh, or caused them to kind of mentally lose their minds or something. And uh, I think we're going to kind of reveal that as the show goes on potentially. But I yeah. think that's probably what the EXO was referring to. I doubt it was just a you know second in command officer mutiny kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't think. Is extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. I think the Invictus jumps time. Okay, so you think it's oh, you think the Invictus is like it's a time machine, or it's like a it's jumping to different time coordinates. Yeah, I think like it's so old; it's been doing it for so long. I think it, I think it's involved to the point where it's just jumping through time and space. Possibly, I mean that that kind of feeds in. Um, that's that's possible because that kind of feeds in with what I was talking about, Gail, where you have a persistent character across the big time yeah. jumps that they're doing. So if the Invictus does do that, then it conveniently says, Hey, let's have Salvor here in 138 years. Let's have Salvor here in 200 years, you know, where generally they maybe wouldn't. Um, so yeah, that kind of fits that too, or th- that keeps the character alive, even though they do these crazy time jumps, you know, but also that, I think this, there, I think there's more ramification. I think Demerzel betrays the Cleons. Um, I don't know when or how, but I do believe that she is going to betray him because I think their trust is fractured for so, like, since he keeps making the same mistakes, he keeps having the same actions in different Mm -hmm. settings that it is going to break and it is going to cause them to 
that relationship to fracture to the point where there's no return. Yeah, I, I think they I think they're kind of setting that up. There's definitely a fractured relationship between her and the Cleons and, and a kind of a tortured history between the two as well, um, which is going to make for a really interesting conflict because of their conf- uh, complicated relationship that I went into earlier. Um, we didn't get anything for Brother Dawn in this episode at all, so he's probably going to be featured heavily in the next one. Uh, and we did make predictions in the last episode, but I can reiterate that here. I do think brother, now that brother days made this out, I think brother Dawn's going to die probably in the next episode, in my opinion. I think so too. Yeah. Um, because I think that his girlfriend Azura is going to, uh, it's going to be revealed that she's been working with brother dusk and brother dusk is going to, uh, get rid of the, uh, problem child that seems to be having a lot of genetic differences from the Cleon, uh, dynasty. And we'll get to see that little test tube baby pop out of oh, uh, yeah. other Dawn. I think that's going to happen. Do you have any other, um, any other, uh, predictions for the rest of the episodes here? Well, considering that the next episode's name is called the first crisis. I really do think that all hell is going to break loose. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's going to be on the religious front or the political front. But considering where everything's coming from, I think it's going to be the political front. Yeah, it seems like the religious front's been kind of stemmed. And it makes, you know, once that that kind of problem has been stemmed, you're like, okay, well, you know, they, they referenced very early on in the season that there was a, a break with religion and that insurrectionists were going to be causing something. That's the, so Yeah, the insurrectionists. We're probably going to get something from the insurrectionists that we haven't been really getting in the last couple episodes that is going to cause this crisis on um, on Trantor, I would I would think. So I think that's probably a safe bet, too. Um, I don't have any other real predictions that I can think of here. We've got, uh, this was episode eight. We've got two more episodes. Yep. So we're almost towards the end of the season here. There is going to be a season two. Um, but yeah, we're coming down to the pike here. Uh, we will yeah. try to uh, get these episodes out the day of the episode dropping. So uh, this you, you guys should probably be watching this on Friday when the uh, new episode has already dropped. Yes. And then uh, next week, we should be able to have them out the same day as well. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to promo? Anything that you're working on? Any articles? Uh, not right now. Not working on really anything. Highly recommend uh, just going to the movies. There's a lot of good movies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, just go see it. That's, yeah. that's the only thing I got to recommend. Yeah, for this audience, guys, go see Dune. If you haven't seen Dune, definitely go see Dune. It's definitely worth it to see it on a screen in IMAX as well. Yeah. Um, I have a watch party on Monday. Right now, I think it's a tie between Rat Race and um, Rat Race and Dumb and Dumber right now. And the first lead, we've got some road trip movies that we're doing. Um, so if you guys want to watch that movie with us live, we're going to be doing that Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, you can go to YouTube.com slash The Distract to subscribe so you're notified when we go live and Ooh, watch yeah. that with us there. Um, I also just did a review on the TheDiscMedia.com, which should be linked uh, in the description below. Um, or Last Night in Soho, which I saw, which I thought was really good. So you guys can check that review out. And that's pretty much it for me. But uh, as always, guys, respect and enjoy the peace. Triple blessings. Triple blessings to you all. And may the light never dim. Uh, We will see you same time next week. See you later.